The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Welcome to Cardboard Cave. This is uh, another quick review episode. I just want to get you an episode out on a game that I, I want to talk about. Unfortunately, there's no Anna or Johnny here. Um, it's just <laughs> proving still really hard to get together. Um, you know, our son, some of you have been here since the beginning. And I'm very sorry for how sporadic the episodes have been. But I think when I started, our son was practically a newborn. I mean, it seems like it anyways. Not very old. And he's like 16 months now. <clears throat> Which actually means it's harder for me and Anna to both record at the same time. Um, <clears throat> this is not a sob story. I wouldn't change a thing. He's absolutely amazing. But it just would be irresponsible for us to both be on here at the same time. Because either he's going to be completely disrupting the podcast and annoy all of you. Or uh, we're going to be negligent and he's going to be getting into trouble. And um, climbing stairs and playing with spiders. Which, by the way, he did last night when I was in charge of watching him. Um, he was just sitting on the floor uh, over by the kitchen. And um, he was just sitting there really quiet and being really good. Uh, so I was I was tired after a day of work. I was just letting him be. Being a somewhat lazy parent, if I'm being honest. And... Uh, my wife comes in and says, she shrieks, <laughs> and I see her pick up a shoe, and she just starts slamming the floor. Um, well, come to find out, my son was playing with a spider, like really playing with them, uh, just kind of scooting them along, and and uh, yeah, so <clears throat> not a great parenting moment, but <laughs> I had no idea there was a spider there, Um, and sorry, sorry, insect lovers, or arachnid lovers uh we don't believe in killing anything unless it's inside the house and is uh not not human <laughs> that sounded terrible uh i mean yeah that sounded really bad um if it's an insect or an arachnid and it's inside the house and we didn't bring it in on purpose then it's fair game how about that um but I just want to get out a, a, a pretty quick episode because there's a game I, I, I want to talk about and I'm really living up to the to what I said early on here. We're not going to be talking about a game that's super popular. It's definitely not the hotness. And um, before I get into that real quick, I got to have a, a very nice beach trip with my wife's family. Um, it was my son's first time really knowing where he was. We we went to the beach with my family when he was like a couple like three months old. But now he really loved it. You know, he, he loved walking on the beach and of course we had to watch him closely. He wanted to head straight to the ocean every time, but it was awesome. But I bring it up because I brought okay, so if you're a board gamer, you're gonna understand my pain here. Um 
Uh, by the way, if my voice sounds a little froggy, maybe a little extra deep, I'm recording at about 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, uh, just just so I can get an episode out for you guys, if anybody cares. Um, so yeah, while, while everybody else is still asleep in the upstairs part of the cave, I figured I'd come down here and, and do this. But my voice is always froggy of a morning. But anyways, I originally packed two big plastic totes, like Rubbermaid totes of games. And when me and my wife were going on a trip, I mean, I have a little Mazda hatchback. It's a Mazda 3. I love that thing. And space has never been a problem. Even though it's a compact car, hatchbacks are awesome. I don't care what anybody says. And if you live in the rest of the world, you're like, duh. But here in America, hatchbacks are definitely, definitely shunned. I'm going to say they're shunned. But they're so much better than a sedan, especially in a compact car, because you can fit so much more stuff than in a trunk. Uh, And I think they look cool, but, you know, obviously I'm not normal here in America anyways. But anyways, it's never been a problem to have enough space for a trip. So I packed two huge totes full of games. I mean, I had, uh, you know... Anna's family is pretty big, so I had all kinds of games, you know, family weight games, um, uh, s- some heavier strategy games, uh, filler games, just a lot of games. And um, then we started packing and just bringing the extra stuff for our for our, our son, I guess, I just realized I don't have room for two tubs of games. This is, there's no way I have room for this now. So it was a couple hour process, an agonizing process, to get it down to one bag of games. And pro tip, although I don't know exactly where to tell you to find them now, I have a cube-shaped bag, and they sell professional board game bags that are like this, but mine, if I'm not mistaken, it was made for a snare drum. It was designed for a snare drum, and uh, I think of all places, I got it from bnhphoto.com. And it was really cheap, and it's so awesome. It's great. But I don't know if you can still find that. So these cube-shaped board game bags really are a good shape. So if you find one for a decent price, I'm sure they have one on Amazon. I mean, what's not on Amazon? But I think they're pretty cool. But anyways, I got all the games I brought into this. And to be honest, we only played three of the games I brought. I still ended up with a couple we didn't get played, because you never get as many played as what you think you're going to. But I'm always like, well... What if we actually have more time than I think and we're bored? You know, what if it ends up being really bad weather and there would be people willing to play games and I didn't bring enough, which is stupid. That never happens. But in my head, (laughs) that's going to happen. You know, that's realistic in my mind. Um, But anyways, the three games, and I think this is the only three we actually played. uh, Newsford, which is the game I'm going to be talking about, so we'll skip that for now. Um. We played one four-player game of that while we are there. I would have loved to have played more, but it just time-wise didn't happen. Uh, Santa Monica. And Santa Monica is a game that I very nearly sat down and did an episode on, because I just I think it deserves to be talked about. Wait a minute. <laughs> I did sit down and do an episode on Santa Monica. This show is so forgettable, so throwaway, that even I forgot. That was my last episode, wasn't it? Okay, so yeah, you know about Santa Monica. It's weird, I don't remember... I guess I did that before we went to the beach, though, so that's why I didn't remember. Yeah, because we played Santa Monica at the beach anyways. I think I mentioned it's a great two-player game. Well, everyone, we played a four-player game, and everybody loved it that played it. So, um, 
It's still a hit. Santa Monica, I recommend it. But the real star of the show, the game that I threw in almost as a throwaway. In fact, I just ordered this game like right before we went to the beach because I had a hunch that I should maybe do it. Which is ridiculous when you see the number of games on that I think I should order any game. But this time, this time I actually made the right decision. And that was Skull King. Skull King is a trick-taking card game that I have heard um, people rave about. But every time I look at it, it's like, I don't know. It just doesn't look like there's much to it. It doesn't look like that much. It doesn't look that special. It's a $15 card game. Um, and I kind of hate to keep promoting Amazon because I would rather you buy your games if you have a friendly local gaming store. I really don't at the present time. Not local. Not not truly local. Um, which is a real shame. But if you do, I'd rather you support them or even an online gaming store that you know just caters to gamers. But the thing is, School King is mostly, I think, distributed by the publisher, and they sell on Amazon, so that's probably your best bet. It's 15 bucks on Amazon, and we played this game oh, 10, 10 to 12 times. And it's not like a five-minute card game. I mean, it's, it's 10 rounds. Um, uh, I would say it does not overstay its welcome, welcome, but it's probably 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how slow everybody is. And we played at least 10 games. You know, we might have got it down to 35 minutes or something, but at first it was probably closer to an hour. But basically, you know, if you've played trick-taking card games like Spades or, um, I'll shoot, what's the one everybody plays? Rook. Rook. It's not a partnership. It's not a partnership game. You play for yourself. But the gist of it, real quick, is 10 rounds, but in the first round you only use one card per player. In the second round, it's two cards per player. The third round, it's three cards. All the way up until the last round where you're dealing out ten cards per player. And, like in those other games I mentioned, betting how many tricks you're going to make is the key of the game. Like, you look at your hand, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but there's certain ways it works, pretty much like any trick-taking game, but with some fun pirate flair. For example, um... The Skull King himself, who's basically Blackbeard, the Skull King himself beats every card in the game, at least if you're playing the base game. Um, but there's lots of other things. There's five red pirates, and they beat everything besides the Skull King. Um, but if multiple red pirates are played, then only the first one wins. Uh, there's the, the Trump suit is the black. It's called the Jolly Roger suit. It works just like all the other colored suits, which go one... To 12 or 1 to 13. 1 to 14, maybe. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. 1 to 14. So the black is the trump suit. So if you don't have the color that was let out, you can play the black suit. But if you have the color, you have to play it. Except all the special cards, being the pirates, being the Skull King himself, um, being, I think, at least one other in the base game that for some reason I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah, there, there's a. There's one who can be either a zero or a pirate, and you decide when you play it down, basically. And then there's retreat cards. That's what I was forgetting. Retreat cards are essentially a zero, and you're basically saying, I don't want to win the trick, so I'm retreating. And those can be very important to have. 
And then in the box is actually included a bunch of expansion cards that really blow the game up. Add all kinds of characters, new powers, really make it, I think, maybe more of a gamer's game. The thing is, though, we never even touched those cards the whole time. Maybe I should have brought them out, but everybody loved it so much with just the base cards that we never even brought out the expansion cards. Um, next time I will, but like I said, we played this game 10 plus times while we were there. And there was just laughter and screaming. So I got to say, all these people who kept talking this game up were totally right. To me, it just looked like a basic trick-taking card game, but there's something about it. You can't take it as seriously as something like Rook. And I think that's why it's so much more fun, at least to me, because you can't take it as seriously. Because the thing about Rook, and I've and I'd be, I've only played Rook a couple of times, but people take it so seriously and there's definitely skill involved, especially in the betting. But it's still a card game. There's a lot of luck in a card game. Sometimes you just don't get the good cards. Well, School King turns that on its head because you can actually rack up a ton of points if you bid zero. Meaning you're saying, I'm going to make no tricks. And that is a key strategy, is knowing when to bid zero. So actually, the worst hand in School King is a hand that's just okay. An amazing hand could win you a lot of tricks, and a truly terrible hand could win you a, a lot of points. Um, but the thing is, if you bid zero, and you make even one, if you make even one trick and you bid zero, you lose a bunch of points. Um, but either way, if you don't make exactly what you bid exactly, you get nothing. You never get any points if you don't win exactly the number of tricks you said. So it's hilarious, because you got people... And I sound like I'm reviewing this game now, but School King is not really a big enough game to get a full episode, so that's why I'm talking about it now. School King really turns trick-taking on its head just by the simple fact that half the time you're not trying to win tricks, and you're doing everything you can not to win tricks, and it's hilarious. you got people throwing amazing cards at the worst times because they don't want to win a trick. But then, then you're, you're biting your nails because you're like, oh, I need to win one trick. So do I trash this great card now and hope I can win that one trick with another card? Um, and there's things that throw wrenches in it. Like you don't know if somebody has a pirate. There's five red pirates in the game and there's one Skull King. Those both throw a wrench in the plans. So there's a certain amount of chaos because you just don't know. But there's also, there's real strategy too, you know, knowing what to bid, when to trash. Um, it's, it's a ride. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it's one of those games that I think you kind of just got to try it. I don't know if it sounds that exciting. It plays up to six players. Um, I think the box says two to six. I don't really know that the two player game would be that good, but I would say three to six is definitely good. Um, and we played with six every time because every single time there was actually more people who wanted to play than could play, um, which I'll be honest with you, almost never happens <laughs> when I bring a game that we had the full amount of players and more would have played if, if they could have fit. Um, so yeah, that's Skull King. I gotta say, I mean, if you got, I would say especially four to six people who maybe sat around playing old card games, you know, like Spades or Rook, you know, trick-taking card games. And you think they might enjoy a twist on a trick-taking card game? Like I said, everybody I played it with. And it was 
I just thought like 10 different people, 11 maybe. Almost everybody that was there, almost my wife's entire family, at some point or another played it. And I think everybody loved it. So, that's Skull King. And I think it's time to move on to the feature game of the episode. And I'm going to try to keep this quick because this is this game has a little more going on. I just want to tell you enough that maybe you can get a grasp of kind of how it works. Which, as I've mentioned before, is hard to do in audio form. And so sometimes I wonder why people even try it. But here I go. Newsford. And I think I'm saying that almost correctly. Newsford. And let me spell that for you. It's like Newsfjord. <laughs> uh, N-U-S-F-J-O-R-D. N-U-S-F-J-O-R-D. Newsford. Newsford is an actual village. It's an actual town in um, Norway, right? We're going to say Norway because I've forgotten. I think it's Norway. <laughs> and if you look up Newsford, if you Google it, it is an absolutely beautiful uh, little village. Uh, it, it's, I, I think, well known for its red buildings. The red buildings are just um, beautiful along the rocky coast, you know, in the, the blue ocean. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place that... I would love to go to sometime. Um, although tourists kind of run everything. I would like to be a tourist uh, there one time. But news for the game is by Uwe Rosenberg, who probably most people don't need to introduce to. Um, of course, he's well known now for his really heavy worker placement Euro games. Um, in fact, with Agricola, which I know I've mentioned on the show before, he really, he did not by any means invent worker placement, but he really upped the ante on worker placement. He really took it into a new era, I would say. Um, and, you know, then he had Caverna, and you've got Feast for Odin, and La Havre, which is a great game that I should cover on the show, because it totally is one of those games that feels like a classic already. Um, uh, a, a bunch of these heavier games. He also makes some lighter games like Patchwork, <clears throat> which is a really popular two-player game about quilting. Um, and I was introduced to Uwe by Bonanza. Back when I got into gaming, this was probably my first or second board game order, Bonanza, which was a hot new game at the time, if I remember correctly. And now it's it's definitely a classic. But Bonanza is just such a fun and crazy card game. But Newsford is a game that I want to talk about because I don't think enough people are talking about it. Because Newsford fits a spot that very few Uwe games fit. And I'm going to go ahead and do this up front so you maybe you know if you need to stick around or not. Um, before I even go into how the game works. The reason I think you might be interested in Newsford is because it's a game that captures the feel, the strategy, the look. Yeah, just the overall feeling of one of Uwe's big worker placement games, like Agricola, like, well, Lahav is kind of different, but, you know, like Lahav, like any of his games that do, to be fair, all share a lot in common. Um, This one fits in that mold but it's decidedly quicker, 
lighter on rules, and just a bit less heavy than any of those I just mentioned. But this is not a patchwork or a bonanza. It's very much a medium weight worker placement game. That's the key. This is not, you know, Uwe makes the, the lighter games like Patchwork and I keep saying Patchwork because I can't remember. I think one was called Ray Colt. And then there was one, was it Autumn Fall? <laughs> it, it involved fall leaves, I remember. It's, it was a game with the Tetris shaped pieces where you're fitting together, fitting together um, like Patchwork, but I can't remember what it was called. Anyways. This is not one of those. This is definitely one of his medium worker placement games, but that's the key. It's like medium weight. It's 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 very much medium weight. It's not even on the heavy end of medium weight. Whereas he pretty much makes, from what I can tell, he pretty much makes either games like Patchwork that are definitely, well, we use the Tetrominoes. Tetromino, tetrominoes? I don't think I can say that word. Tetra. The Tetris-shaped pieces. <laughs> Games like that, or he makes the big heavy games like Feast for Odin, Fields of Arl, Agricola. This is different. It feels different because it's a squarely medium weight game with a pretty light rule book. Once you've played it, and I'll get into this, once you've played it once or twice, incredibly quick, incredibly smooth gameplay. So I think it fits a niche, and I think enough people aren't talking about it. Um... On Board Game Geek, it has something like 3,400 ratings, so clearly people are playing it. It is an Uwe game. But it's nothing compared to some of his more popular games. Um, I think it's rated 7.6 right now, which is very, very good on the Board Game Geek scale. But I feel like it deserves even more. Um, and, well, like all games, there's no way to know if you're going to love it until you play it. But I feel like it deserves to be considered one of his classics, especially because it fills this void, this void of people who want to play a Uwe game, but especially on a work night, can't quite fit in an Agricola or a, or don't have the mental power for, you know, a Feast for Odin or something like that. So I think it fills a great niche. So let's go into how it's set up. Again, I can't stress enough, once you set this game up once, maybe twice, it's really quick and easy to set up, which is another great thing about it. The first time, it's just a, it's just different enough. This game is just different enough that the first time you play it, it may not feel as streamlined as it really is, including the setup. But give it one game, and by the end of your second game, you're going to be zimming, zipping and zooming along. To set it up, it, it is an Uwe game. And so by that I mean it has a lot of components. <laughs> but they're much more manageable than some of his bigger games, I think. But you do have, let's see, I have the instruction manual. Uh, let's see. How many boards? Well, each player has their own, um, I guess I should say, you take on the role of a fishing company in Newsford. Newshort is very much a fishing town, a fishing village. You take on the role of a major fishing company. So there's shares involved and money involved, but the share part is very simple. Don't get scared off by that. And you're fishing, using your fishing boats, and you're taking on the advice of the elders. Um, this game, one thing I love about it, some people don't care about theme when it comes to a game like this, 
<clears throat> but for me, it, when it works, it works. And it, it works for me here. Because this game has a very community-based theme. A very friendly thing. I mean, it's a competitive game. And like any good worker placement game, you can block spots your opponents won't. But it, it has a community feel to it anyways. And these elders are a part of that. Um, and I'll get into how they work. But basically, they represent the elders in the community who really are the ones who pass on all the knowledge <clears throat> of the, the best fishing places. I'm not a fisherman, so I don't know any more <laughs> ways to put it. But the, the, the tricks of the trade. And so each player has their own board, which shows basically a wooded area, which I assume represents Newsford sort of before it had been cleared out and to make room for buildings. And you actually have these uh, cardboard tiles that represent forests that cover up part of the spaces on your own personal board. So those spaces aren't usable as long as the forest are on them. But the game's not necessarily encouraging you to just get rid of all the forest either. That's another little clever mechanic I'll get to. And also on your personal board, at the bottom is a space for a bunch of ships, your fishing boats. You start with one that is printed right there on the board, but if you want more, in other words, if you want to catch more fish, you have to get more. And like everything in this game, it is abstracted enough to be pretty simple, but just enough to still have a theme. And the fishing boats are a great example. The fishing boats simply cost money and or resources. Well, both usually. And there's three sizes. Um, let's see if I can read this tiny print. Because I can't remember. It's the clipper. No, it's the sloop, the cutter, and the schooner. That's your three sizes of ships. And they're literally printed on three sizes of cardboard tile. And so, for example, if you get the, the clipper, it covers more spaces than the schooner on your little fishing area at the bottom in other words you're going to be catching more fish um it, it would be nice if you could see it but basically there's numbers printed at the bottom of your personal board and the more those numbers you cover up the more fish you're going to be catching on the next turn so the bigger boat you buy you simply cover up more numbers it's a really simple but clever way to to represent that and you never have to think about it i mean they could have just printed on the boat okay this boat can catch two fish this boat can catch three fish but this is so much better because you never have to do any math for this part. You just look down. Oh, okay, I'm catching eight fish right now. Okay, now let's add this boat. I'm catching ten fish. Awesome. You know, it's it's, it's so streamlined, I guess. I hate to overuse that word. But anyways, that's your personal board. Each player has one of those. So, you know, that's going to take up some space because we're talking maybe, I don't know, six inches tall by ten inches wide, something like that. You know, they're decent-sized player boards, maybe even a little bigger than that. You have a, a banquet table, which is a super long table that represents a place where the elders come to eat and share their information with you. It's really skinny, but it's long. Then you've got the main action board, where the main worker placement for everyone takes place. And then you have the elders board, which also houses the place for the ships above it. And then you have two boards that hold buildings. And these buildings are basically special action cards, special ability cards that represent the buildings you're putting into your personal area. So, that's the very basic of it. And I will mention here, everyone starts with three workers. You can never get more. You can never lose any. You always have three. So even that is streamlined. That is simple. 
And three may not sound like much, but it feels like it was very, very purposeful. Like pretty much everything in this game, it feels very purposeful. So all you start with in this game are three workers, five shares, and only two of them are turned over to the issued side. The other three are non-issued shares. And then a little disc where you can put your put your stuff, basically. And that's it. Um, so, the game lasts seven rounds. And even that's pretty clever. It's got this little system where this little boat moves around. And if the boat is in front of you, you know it's your turn to go first. And it also tells you what round we're on. So, for example, this player may go first in rounds, I don't know, one and five. And I'm just making that up. But you can see in front of you, okay, I'll be going first on round one and five or whatever. <clears throat> so, the course of play. There's seven rounds in the game. Everyone will always get the same number of turns. Then it's over. And you never have to remember what round you're on because the blue boat moves around on these discs. It's pretty cool. There's three phases, but even that is simpler than it sounds. First, you have the fishing phase. And then you have the work phase, which is really the main meat of it. And then returning home, which is literally just taking your stuff back. <laughs> Sorry, my throat is really dry. I'm going to have to get some tea here. It's funny. It just, I guess it's officially fall now. Well, I guess it has been for a couple of weeks. But my throat is so much drier down here in the basement than it was just a couple of weeks ago. Anyways, that's not interesting. So fishing, work, returning home. But really, two of these phases, everybody's doing it at the same time. And that's one of the first positive points I want to mention about this game. It says it plays one to five. And according to Board Game Geek, by the way, the Board Game Geek, like I said, I mentioned the rating was 7.6. Uh, people say it takes 20 to 100 minutes. And I'll say that's probably actually pretty accurate. I would say it's 20 minutes per player. Because the game's always seven rounds. And so it's basically 20 minutes per player. Meaning you can play a two-player game once, you're, once you know the game in about 40 minutes. Now I would say it's closer to an hour when you're still learning. But I would say it's pretty accurate once you know it. Uh, meaning a four-player game is probably going to take maybe an hour and a half. <clears throat> and you're probably going to be... It says 100 minutes. You're probably going to be pushing closer to two hours if you play a five-player game. But how many truly medium-weight Euro games do you know that are even good with five players? I would rather play this one with maybe four players than five, but there's no reason it wouldn't work with five. And also, I should mention, people say it's great, absolutely ideal at one two, three, or four players, and still good with five. The one-player game is surprising. This game is very highly rated as a solo game. I've not tried this, but people... I've heard of people playing this game 50, 60 times as a solo game. So that's something to consider if you're into solo. Like I said, I can't say anything except if you look at Board Game Geek, most people love it as a solo game. Um, you just don't see that very often. I can confirm it works great as a two- and a four-player game. Uh, we got to play one four-player game at the beach, and I played several two-player games with my wife. Um, I can confirm it's great at both those. There's absolutely no reason it wouldn't be great at three. In fact, people say overall it's best at three. And that's probably just because you have a mixture of more competition, um, but not quite waiting as long for your turn. But anyways, one of the great things about this game is first of all, the main action board has a two-player side, so it stays pretty tight even for a two-player game. 
And then the three to five side is on the other side. But most of the game, you're playing simultaneously until you get to the worker phase and you're just taking turns, placing workers down. So the first phase, fishing phase, this is where you collect fish based on how many fish you're bringing in. So like, for example, in the rule book, it shows this person has the starting boat, which I think is called a catfish boat, which I guess maybe it's meant for catching catfish. I don't know. You got the the starting boat printed on the board. Then they have a cutter, a sloop, and the big schooner. And with those three boats, they're able to catch 10 fish. So at the start of the fishing phase, everyone puts in their hand how many ever fish they're currently catching. Then at the same time, everyone just does this on their own. They distribute those fish. And it's kind of, um, this is where that community aspect comes in. It's kind of different how this works. But first, you have to feed your elders. Um, now, I've not got to this part yet, but elders are basically additional action spaces that only you can have if you've added them to your board. Well, you have to feed them if you have them. Then you have to put a fish on your shares that other people own. I said you start with five shares, but only two are issued. Well, there's an incentive as the game goes to issue shares, but other people can buy those shares. And if they do, you're basically paying them fish every round. Then you get to put the fish on shares in your own supply. And that's the main way you're basically going to earn fish. The fish in this game are really the money. They're really the... They're very fluid. They're always changing hands and everything. There is money in the game, but money is victory points. So really, the fish are more the currency. (laughs) Then finally, if you still have fish left over, you have room for eight in your little personal reserve on your player board. And then if you still have fish left over, if you maxed out your reserve, you have to throw those back into the pond or back into the ocean. Um, That sounds complicated, but you get real used to it real quick. Basically, your fish are being distributed. And some of those are going into your personal supply, and that's good, because you're going to use fish for almost everything in this game. So after the fishing phase, everyone's distributed their fish. You might be getting fish from other players, which is always fun. Then, we go on to the main meat of the game, the work phase. And this is really the whole game here. So you got the board that everyone's sharing. You got three workers. You simply place one worker on one spot on the board, then... You do whatever it says. Then the next person goes. You go, 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 go. Everyone's used their three workers. End of the round. The key is, some spots can hold more than one worker. Some can only hold one. Of course, if the spot's already full, you can't go there. I'll real quickly go go through them. Um, I don't want to keep you too long here. But one option is just to earn a gold. Gold in this game is always good. Because I'll go ahead and tell you, one thing I love about this game is the points feel like they really matter. Because after you played a couple times... <clears throat> sorry, my throat is exceptionally dry. I guess I've not talked this while, this long in a while. Um, Our games have been around 30 points. <clears throat> I want to say like 35 might even be the high score. So in the 20s to 35 points has been the range. So every single point matters, and that makes the game feel better, honestly. There are no throwaway points. So even a single gold piece can be used for things during the game, but if nothing else, it's worth a point at the end of the game. And I shall go and mention, there's no big surprises at the end, and the rulebook even says that. 
you're going to know how many points you have. There's no big surprises. Your points will be one per gold. That basically represents how successful your fishing company is. The buildings themselves are a big source of points. Um, and I'll get to those in just a second. Um, and then shares. Every share you have that's issued is a point. Then you lose a point for every share of yours that's not been issued. And you lose a point for every empty space on your player board. And I'll get to clearing the forest out in a minute. But you don't want to go gung-ho clearing out forest if you're not going to put buildings down. Because that represents wasted space that you should have just let those trees be, you know. <laughs> and that's really it. There's no surprise like, oh, sorry, I have this super secret thing that's going to get me 10 more points. No, the games are going to be close. And whoever played the most efficiently and got the best little... I don't know if I want to say engine, because this is this is really a worker placement game, period. But had the best little system going, it's probably going to win. I mean, there's some luck. There's cards, you know, which I think is fine. But there's there's not huge scoring swings in this game. Um, and I think it really works well. It, it, again, it adds to that elegant, streamlined feel. So anyways, your choices on the board. Get a gold. Transfer your reserve. Basically, that means everything in your reserve on your player board is useless to you until you take this action and transfer it. So you might have fish in your reserve. You can transfer them, blah, blah, blah. Serve fish. This might be the most unique thing in the game. Um, I mentioned this really long banquet table that's put out. You earn gold, which again is useful and is points at the end of the game for serving fish. And this is one of the main uses for the fish. Um, in fact, we undervalued how important this space is during our first game. So, basically, the more fish you serve, the more plates you can serve. But it gets more expensive as you go down. The plates get bigger and bigger. But you earn gold for every plate you serve. This plate might take three fish to be served. This plate might take six fish to be served. So, obviously, you want to get to the, to the smaller plates first because they're all worth one gold. But... Once there's served plates, those fish are on the plates, and the elders are who want to eat those fish, and that's important. Because although you got the gold and therefore the points for serving the fish, other people may take advantage of the fact that you did that. Which adds to the community aspect, and can also make you mad when you put fish out because you wanted to take elder actions, and then somebody else does it instead. I'll get to that in a second, though. The One of the options is to build a building. <clears throat> So you've got these two boards filled with buildings. You simply go to the build-a-building space and you pick out a building that you can afford. For example, the forester's house takes three wood. And it gives you a point at the end of the game and it gives you an immediate ability uh, to reforest, which I'll get to. <clears throat> the, let's see, the Arboretum is also worth a point at the end of the game. It costs one fish and one gold. It immediately lets you reforce two times. <clears throat> the pier house, no points, costs two wood and a fish, but the ability, it says before you build, you get three wood. So in other words, the buildings are ongoing abilities. They either give you something immediately and then they're done. They just take up space on your board and are usually worth points thinned. Or they do an ongoing thing. For example, the pier house, every time you're going to build a building, you get three wood first. And wood is important. Wood is used to build most of the buildings. 
Um, it's used to build most of the ships. Wood is important. <clears throat> and speaking of wood, <laughs> deforesting is one of the options on the board. And you simply remove one of those forest tiles from your board and you collect five wood. But you might eventually get to the point where you have no forest left on your board and you need wood. And it can be really tricky. This game has a tight economy and the wood is part of that economy. And it's kind of it's kind of thematic. I mean, if you use your imagination a little bit. If you've already cleared out all your trees and used up all the resources, it can be hard to come up with a way to build more ships or to build more buildings later on. So, one of the options is to reforest. And of course, in real life, reforesting takes many years. But in this game, <clears throat> sorry, if you pick the reforest option, you get to add two more forest tiles back to your board. Um, so then now they're there covering up spaces you need to put buildings, but they're also available to be deforested and get you more wood. So it's this balance of having enough forest so that you can get wood, but also uncovering spaces you need to put down buildings. <clears throat> so that's a back and forth. One of the options is thin out, and when you do that, you don't actually lose any of your forest tiles. You simply collect one wood per forest tile you still have on the board. So you start the game with four forest tiles. So if you do the thin out, you simply collect four wood and don't actually lose any of the forest tiles. Then you have issue a share. And why would you want to issue a share? Well, first of all, every share you've not issued at the end of the game is a negative point. Second of all, you immediately get two gold. And this is the quickest way to earn two gold. Again, some of the ships, some of the best buildings cost gold. Gold is a point at the end of the game. So you issue a share, you immediately get two gold. But one of the other worker placement spots, and only one person can go to this one, is buy all shares. <laughs> and when you pick this, you spend one gold per share and you buy all the shares that are there. So maybe Jimmy and Jill both put down a share to get the gold. And then on my turn, I buy all shares and for one gold apiece, that's paid to the bank, by the way, not to them. I collect all the shares. And now they're in front of me. So I'm going to get the points for them at the end of the game. And on the fishing phase, they're going to be throwing a fish on each of those shares. So there's incentive to buy the shares and incentive to sell the shares. It's not really very mean. I mean, when somebody buys your shares, it kind of stinks. But at the same time, you got the two gold for it. And you're not going to get the negative points since you issued a share. So it works out. And then, the last two spots, build a ship. This is simple. You pick one of the ships, basically small, medium, and large, if you can pay the resources. And you put it on your little uh, the ocean part of your board. Now, starting next turn, you'll be able to catch more fish. Because you covered up more of those numbers. Finally, and by the way, the ships are extremely important. Like most of this things in this game that can't be ignored. Finally, you have the Taken Elder space. And this is pretty cool. The Elders, basically, you can think of them as extra worker placement spots that only you can go to. So there's unique Elders out, and once they're gone, they're gone. And the cool thing is to get the Elders doesn't really cost you anything. But to be able to take an Elder, or to use an Elder you already have, there has to be a fish on that banquet table I talked about earlier. Which again, 
you know, Jimmy can be the one that put the fish out and then I can take the fish to basically invite an elder to my board <laughs> and they'll stay there for the whole game. And the elders are basically better worker placement spots. Uh, let's see, I'll just, I'll give you one or two examples. For example, the contractor elder lets you pay three fish and remove up to two forest and then build a building. So basically, he's the build a building spot plus lets you remove forest. Um, other ones might say, you know, after you build a building, you get something. So basically, there's, they're really cool because not only are they better than the basic worker placement spots, those worker placement spots can fill up. For example, one of the games I won, I know I had the elder that lets you build, let's see, I think it was, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, he lets you build a ship or build a building. <clears throat> so basically, he's two worker placement spots in one. And people kept filling up the build a ship spot, but I could use my own elder to build a ship. So yeah, that's they're basically worker placement spots that only you can use. But the key is there has to be a fish for you to take one, and there has to be a fish for you to use one uh, later on in that banquet table spot. And that doesn't matter if you put the fish there; somebody else did because you know that's they're getting gold to do it. It's not like a, it's a, a charity action. It's well worth it for the gold because fish are essentially worthless at the end of the game. So getting gold here is, is pretty lucrative. But you can use the fish to then take the elder actions. Basically, it represents they're coming to the table to eat and they're sharing knowledge. And the cool thing is when you take an elder, you get a free action right then. As you take them, you get to do the action immediately. Don't forget that. That's easy to forget. Okay. Last thing is simply, <clears throat> actually, that's it. That's that's the whole board. Sorry. <laughs> that's the whole board. So everyone places their three workers, and then everybody returns home. That just means you take your workers back, and you move the little wooden ship to the next spot, and that person now knows they go first. And you start the next round with everyone gathering fish based on their boats, distributing those fish to elders, to shares, to their own shares, um, and then getting those fish in their personal supply if they went on their own shares. Rinse and repeat. With the worker placement phase, come home. Uh, I know I didn't make that sound super simple. And it's not, don't get me wrong. If if the most complicated thing you've played is like Ticket to Ride, or I don't know, maybe Carcassonne, uh, Settlers of Catan even, this is a little bit of a step up from that. Don't get me wrong. This is a medium weight strategy worker placement game. But, I mean, there's a few details I left out, but I pretty much told you everything just now, except for a few details which you'll easily see when you read the rule book. Um, like I said, there's really no other scoring I didn't mention. It's your leftover gold, it's your buildings that have points printed on them, and it's your shares. Minus points for your unissued shares, Minus points for your blank spaces on your board that are not covered up. That's it. The fact that the scoring is so simple and smooth really drives the game. Because you know, at least after your first game. The first game, I'll be honest, is just different enough. Especially the whole elder thing. To where you're not really paying anything to use an elder or to buy an elder. You're inviting them over for dinner. It's, it's kind of 
charming. But there has to be fish on that banquet table or you're not getting to do that. And that took us a while to understand the value of that. Like, why would I put fish out there and then somebody else can use them for the elder actions? But it's because that's one of the good ways to make points in the game and win is by by putting fish on the banquet table for gold. Um, it just feels like it all works out. You know, it really feels like it all works out. And I know for a fact you can win multiple ways because it's amazing how differently... I don't necessarily do this on purpose, but I think almost just because of my nature, because of how I am, whenever I play a game like this that's new to me, I try something a little different every time. And it's amazing to me how differently I've played every game we played. And one some of them, and being close on the ones I didn't win, really. Um, and by playing very differently, you know, I, I went heavy into ships one game. I barely had any ships one game that I won. Um, was barely getting any fish, but I found buildings and things to kind of make up for that. Um, and it's just a smooth game, and that's the word I would use for it. You got to play it once. And then don't wait long. Play it again right then if you can. And it's just, by the end of your second game, you just won't believe how quickly it's moving. Me and my wife played several two-player games. And I was just thinking when we were playing, like, I can't believe we're already on the fifth round. You know, out of seven. I feel like we just started. Yet it's satisfying. It's not so quick it's not satisfying, but it's surprisingly quick. Um... The fact that it plays one to five players, and because you do so much of the game simultaneously, the whole fishing part happens all at the same time. Um, the worker placement, you put a worker, do the thing, which is always quick. Next person goes. Again, there's not many like medium weight Euro games that I would prefer to play with five. Usually four is kind of the cutoff. But this one, I think, truly would work with five, and that is kind of special in itself. Uh, for example, um, and this is an extreme example, but one of my absolute favorite games, bar none, is Grand Austria Hotel. And Grand Austria Hotel feels heavier than this game. It feels a step heavier for sure. But that game, I went in touch with a 10-foot poet five players. Actually, I'm not even sure if it officially plays five or if it's just four. I wouldn't play it with four. Three is the cutoff, and two is ideal for that game. Now, that's an extreme example. But here's a Euro game, roughly medium-weight Euro game, that legit seems like it would be perfectly fine for five. And I can say it's definitely great at four and two. Apparently, it's ideal at three, which I've not even played it at three. And people adore it as a solo game. I mean, you just you can't really beat that versatility. Um, real quick, art and components... The box is gorgeous. I love the look of it. I love the art. Um, and I bet the artist is on here. Uh, Patrick Soder. Fantastic art. When I first saw the game in pictures, I was a little disappointed that on the cards in the game, there's very little art. The buildings especially. And I get it now that I've played it. It's still a little disappointing. But they're basically just text for the buildings. And it's so it can be clear, and from you can immediately read it, and it's clear. I appreciate that. But the art is so beautiful that I wish it was more on the cards. But once the game was set up on my table, I still thought to myself, 
in a Euro game way, you know, in a medium weight worker placement game kind of way, is still a beautiful game. Uh, Kelby, who's been, no, she still hasn't been on the show. We're supposed to be covering underwater cities. Kelby, who I mentioned, my wife's sister. <clears throat> oh my goodness, my throat. Y'all better not be getting sick. It's not acceptable. Sorry. She commented as soon as she saw the game set up, oh, that's so pretty. And it is. It's just it's just really pretty colors. The boards are pretty. It just it has a good look to it. The components are very sturdy. The the boards are like game board material, like your own personal player boards. A lot of games now, uh, like Terraforming Mars, like Underwater Cities, if you don't buy the upgrade. No, no, it comes with boards. I take that back. Sorry. Terraforming Mars is a good example. It comes with these flimsy like coated paper player boards. No, this game comes with legit cardboard player boards. Um, they're, the wooden fish are cute. The wooden, the wood resources, little branches. Honestly, the only two disappointments with all the components in this game are I wish they'd found a way to put some kind of art on the building cards so they weren't so plain looking. I don't know how they would have done it. Um, without it just looking super busy. But it was a little disappointing. Truly not a deal breaker. Please don't let that throw you off from getting the game. Because it almost did me, which would have been ridiculous. And then the workers. I'm a little disappointed that the workers are wooden discs. But if you know Uwe Rosenberg games, it's very normal. I replaced my workers in Agricola with little meeples. And I've, I've already ordered meeples for this one as well. Just basic cheap meeples. It's very basic colors, uh, green, yellow, blue, red, white. Very basic colors. <clears throat> and, yeah, so I'm replacing the disc with meeples. Most people probably don't care. Whatever. Overall, wonderful components. A lot of pieces, a lot of pieces, but, but very solid. Um... I didn't even mention the building decks. There's three building decks included in the game. We've not even touched the second and third deck. You don't even use all the cards in one deck. So there's quite a bit of variability to this game. I think there's a good amount of replayability. The elders are the same every game. Based on the number of players, you don't use all of them, or you might use more of them. But the buildings change every game. You don't use them all for one thing. And two, the game comes with three different decks. And like I said, we've not even touched the second or third deck. Also, there's currently one expansion for the game. It's a small expansion. It's called the Place Expansion. And I might be looking like an idiot here. I didn't realize Place is a fish. It's a type of fish. It looks like a flounder to me. Anyways, so there's four decks available. And I kind of recommend getting this, this little expansion. You know, it's about 15 bucks or less. Not only does it come with a whole new deck of building cards to add variety to your game. But it comes with little uh, metal coins. Frankly, it doesn't come with enough of them, probably, for a four- or five-player game, which is super disappointing. So you might still need to use, like, your five- and ten-value coins. But it comes with a little pile of these one-value metal coins, and they're just fun. So by the time you get the metal coins and the extra deck of cards, I think it's worth it. But you should probably not be a crazy person like me and just play the game first. If you like it, then you can get it. <sighs> okay. This is Lookout Games. We do a lot of Uwe Rosenberg's, you know, bigger games. 
It's in a box the size of Agricola, or I think Caverna, Lahav, are all in similar sized boxes. Um, and it has enough components to fill that box. There's very little wasted space inside that box. I don't think there's any insert in the box, if I remember correctly. Um, and yet, it's pretty full by the time you're done. It comes with baggies <laughs> to put stuff in. There's a lot of components. And it's Uwe Rosenberg, who's a big name in the business. So all his games tend to be a little pricey. At least his bigger games. And I think this game retails for like 70 bucks. Um, and again, I hate to promote Amazon. I'd rather you buy... I mean, I, I don't... I don't... I, I shouldn't say that. It's not, that's not honest. I buy a lot of stuff from Amazon, like most of us. But if I could get this game at a smaller mom-and-pop top store, you know, for anywhere near the same price, then that's what I would do. <clears throat> but I will say, this game is a little pricey. It's hard to find it for less than about 55 bucks on your, like, Miniature Market, Cool Stuff, Inc., uh, Game Nerds, uh, Card Halls. I'm just throwing out some names here because I'm not sponsored by anybody, obviously. Um, it's hard to get it for less than about 55 bucks from those places. I just checked. It's currently not to date this episode, but it's October 10th, 2020, 10, 10, 20. And Amazon has it for 45 bucks. So if you hear this anytime soon, I don't think you can get it much cheaper than that. Um, and that being said, I want to wrap up the review by saying, <clears throat> I think... This is a game that you should seriously look into if you love these, you know, these heavier worker placement style games, especially if you love some of the Uwe Rosenberg games I mentioned, but you find yourself just not playing them as often as you wish you did. You know, work and just life makes you tired and exhausted. Whoever you're playing with is tired and exhausted. Then I would recommend this game. Because once you've got a couple games under your belt, I really think this is like a 40-45 minute two-player game. But it feels like a game that's twice that long, if that makes sense. Now, it doesn't feel... Not, that sounded bad. When you're playing it, it flies by crazy quick once you've got a game under your belt. But I'm saying it feels like the strategy and depth of a longer game. It's satisfying. It's satisfying, but the rules, the setup, everything is just quicker than what this kind of game usually is. <clears throat> like I said, you got to get that through that first game because it doesn't really feel that zippy on the first game. But once you do, I think it's something kind of special. Now, I think where a lot of people came from with this game was it doesn't really do anything new for an Uwe game. It's not probably quite as incredibly impressive as Agricola or Lahav or Feast for Odin. <clears throat> it doesn't have as many moving parts as those for sure. And you know what? All that's true. I mean, the Elder thing is kind of unique. Where you're not really paying money to take these special cards. But there has to be fish on the board. But you may not even be the one that puts fish on the board. It gives this game a community aspect that is interesting. It's not altruistic. You know, people are getting gold for those fish. But at the same time, they're helping you too if you use them. That's interesting. The whole Elder thing is interesting. I like the fishing mechanic to where the tiles actually cover up numbers on the board. And that tells you how many fish you catch. But I bet that's been done before. 
So yeah, it's true. There's nothing for an Uwe game that truly stands out about this game if you just looked at the mechanisms. But I think that's missing the point. What stands out about this game is, this is an Uwe Rosenberg worker placement game that me and my wife can and have played on a weekday after I've worked all day, after she's been here uh, fighting our little man all day. (laughs) Not fighting, that's the wrong word, but (laughs) working here with him, I should say. And we're both tired, and there's not a lot of time. And yet we still got this game played. That's just not going to happen. That's just not going to happen with Agricola or Lahav. And I think that's what's special about it. It may not stand out above those games and be better than those games. So you might argue, well, why should I have it if I already have those games? First of all, to me, it feels more different from those games than what I would have thought. This does not feel like Agricola. I mean, I played Agricola a number of times, and I love it. I wish I had played it more. This does not feel like Agricola. Definitely doesn't feel like Lahav. Lahav feels like its own thing. Um, and it certainly doesn't feel like his lighter games, like Patchwork. It's its own thing. And it's okay that it's not truly unique because it feels a niche, niche? It feels a niche in my gaming library that nothing else does. There's no other game I know of that feels as, uh, like this level of worker placement game, of, of strategy game, that realistically can finish well under an hour, especially with two players. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of special. I do, and I think more people should be talking about it. I feel like I rambled a lot more than I meant to in this episode. I didn't intend to go into such a uh, deep into the rules, but I just hope I gave you a little idea of how it works. Um, I think if you're going to get this game, it needs to be because the idea of a little quicker, a little easier setup, and a little easier rules-wise, Uwe Rosenberg worker placement game appeals to you. Don't go into it because, oh, this looks like it'll be very different from any of those other games. This might replace Agricola for me. Don't go into it with that mindset. It's, if you see the value in a medium-weight Uwe Rosenberg worker placement game that's got less rules overhead and less time and less all this, then I think you should check this game out. And at the end of the day, I think you should check it out because it's a lot of fun. It's so zippy. I keep using that word, but I just, I, I was shocked, especially starting with our, our second and third games. Shocked at how zippy it was. Just It just moves so quick. Um, Yeah, so I think it's, I think it's excellent. Um, I've totally dropped the rating system from this podcast, but, you know, <clears throat> I would probably rate this a 9 out of 10. I mean, yeah, it's and part of that rating is because it's just going to get played more. It's going to get played more than a lot of other Uwe games because it's easier to get it played. But it still scratches basically that full itch. It pretty much completely scratches that same itch. Now... If money were no sorry money, if time were no object, if I had unlimited time, I mean obviously that would change everything. Maybe then, if I had unlimited time and unlimited energy, and at least one opponent who had unlimited time and unlimited energy, then yeah, I would probably pick Agricola and Lahav maybe first, but not every time. Because this game this game is just as good in its own way, I think. Anyways, that's enough. That's Newsford by Uwe Rosenberg. Lookout games. Um, 
Thanks for coming to the cave. I apologize for rambling on. I apologize for my dry throat. I apologize that the more entertaining members aren't here. Um, I really enjoyed the episode with Johnny doing that quiz show. So, hoping to get him back on. But we've got to get together and play games. And it's still tricky right now. I can't believe what's going on this year. But I'm not going to talk about it because everybody's talked about it. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Wonderful night. Uh, let yourself out of the cave. It's just started raining here, so um, feel free to grab a complimentary cave umbrella on the way out and just bring it back next time. We'll see you around. <laughs>